Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, is that short hair on your head I see? Wowie zowie, look at you. It is. It looks good. You like it? Yeah, you kept it juicy on top. I did keep it juicy on top. I think it's it's um, an improvement over your previous short hair time because you've learned so much about curl care between now and then. Yes, that is true. I have learned. You're a curly girl now. You know that pleases me so much when you say it. So <laughs> I, I accept. I accept. <laughs> I'd like to thank the Academy, oh. the, all the other curly girls out there. Michael. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> I've only recently realized that we have very distinctive tones of voice when we're speaking to each other in the intro of this podcast. Really? Just like I feel like I have a specific way of saying Michael that I never say to you in any context other than this podcast. Yeah, you, like, like you're like a nun who's like with a ruler. and you're How would you to... know what a nun saying your name sounds like? I have desires. I have needs. <laughs> You've dreamed of it, but you don't know. Anyway, Michael mm-hmm. Sokolovsky. Yes. Would you like to share with the class? Uh, Hi, how are you? <laughs> I'm so happy you put it that way. Uh, I'm fine. I am fantasizing about landscaping power tools. Mm-hmm. Beyond your brush mower that you rented? Beyond the brush mower. Now I would like to get a brush cutter. Oh, how are those things different? Okay, a brush cutter, you know those uh, trim mowers, like the string mower that has like a... Oh, an edger, a weed whacker. Yeah, like a weed whacker, but a weed whacker with a blade on the end of it, basically. Fuck, that sounds scary. It's a blade on a stick. It's really good at just tearing shit up, and there's a lot of invasive multiflora rows around me. I I would like to get rid of it. Wow. Did you identify your mysterious wildflower or do we only talk about wildflower identification in the patron episode it's a flea bane flea bane flea bane like it is the bane of the flea that's the way i remember the name but that's not probably what it means gregor flebane i don't know why i'm gesturing with a comb right now but that's what i have you always pick something to gesture with the other day it was toothpaste i don't know what else is going on that's really it hava how are you brushim I am well. It is getting ready to be Shavuot this weekend. I'm going to be teaching live at 2 a.m. as part of Shavuot Unbound, which is, it's both like the cutest and most annoying thing that Judaism does. It's like once a year I have to be ready to teach at 2 (laughs) a.m. But it's going to be cool because it's going to be about Russian doll, which is soon to be a very big topic of our show. But in the context of this episode, we already released the Russian doll episode. No, other way around. We're going to release this episode first, and we're going to... Wait, no, because we already said we're going to release the Russian Doll episode. So this episode is going to go next week. Okay, so, which is cool because it is a big topic of our show. As you all know from last week's episode, time is very confusing, just like in Russian Doll. (laughs) We're living it. Yeah, I have an interview for a big fancy, fancy lady corporate job this week, which... I am perversely excited about. I successfully accomplished our grocery shopping this morning in partnership with my boyfriend. So I feel like I'm pretty on my shit right now. Um, Yeah, you know, rocking and rolling, grooving, just vibing, pure vibes. That's great. Okay, we we have a special episode today. Yes, we have a special episode 
today. Please welcome to the stage Ada Morse. Ada Morse is a mathematician, educator, and queerly Jewish creature of rural America. Early versions of Ada found work as a semi-professional orchestral flutist and DNA nanostructure researcher and an adjunct professor of mathematics. The latest Ada update is busying herself in the creation of online courses and the repair of statistics mini shattered vessels. Ada Morse, hi, how are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm good. I am <sighs> looking forward to the long holiday weekend. I recently left my academic job and got a new job and moved into the country. Baruch Hashem. Uh, yes, Baruch Hashem. Wow, so you moved to the country, you quit your academic job, so you're living the the shtetl dream, it would seem. Yes, exactly. Let's talk about how you came to be on this episode of Hi, How Are You? You're on, well, one, just because Michael and I both know you, so it was inevitable. It's like the... <laughs> two sea monsters in the odyssey there was no way you were going to navigate past both of us trying to eventually draw you into this show you were doomed to come on this show eventually and so glad that it's finally come but one of the big inspirations is we have this episode where we talked about svara and michael had a lot of metaphors to say about the relationship between svara and mathematics and you are a mathematrix so you had a lot of you, I won't say you had a lot of opinions about that. You had an opinion about that, and I thought we should have you on the show to discuss math stuff, because I am math-averse. So do you want to say a little about what were you thinking about that episode, and also how do you feel about math and Talmud as a pair? So I think that when it comes to that episode, I don't have any real issue with anything that was said per se. Great. <laughs> Right. And end of episode. See you next week, listeners. <laughs> I think that, you know, the sort of role that math was filling in that episode, if I recall correctly, was, you know, just sort of you were talking about, you know, Gamara and Sfara and like, what is rationality? And math was serving as this example of like the hard and fast, like, mm -hmm. you know, the formulas, those are your facts. And you know, like the, the logical theories, those are like your maybe second order facts, but still... Like, those are the facts. It's very much on the, like, not on the, like, imagination side of it or not as much on the Sfara side of it. And that's true. Like, that's definitely an aspect of mathematics and of, of certain types mm -hmm. of math textbooks that are out in the world, much to my chagrin. But I think there's a lot more to math and to the philosophy of math and the creation of math that actually sort of mirrors in some ways, in some interesting ways, the kind of conversation between Sfara and Gemara that that's going on in the Talmud. So I thought that would be an interesting thing to talk about. Yeah, that sounds like a great thing to talk about. Michael, you're a math person, but I feel like you're like a self-hating mathematician. Uh, so respond. <laughs> uh, yes. To that accusation. Well, I'm curious. I'm, I'm wondering where you're going to go with this, Otto. Here's a guess about where I think you're going to go with this. Now, one of the things they don't tell you about math in high school is that you can create new types of mathematics, which might be kind of analogous to the Rabbi Akiva kind of thing. Akiva's like, what if we just start like interpreting Torah this way? Just creating kind of a new game, really. 
And like you can think about math as different types of games, like whatever, abstract algebra, geometry, all these different types of games, which initially start off as just that, as like, what if we just like imagine this type of game, this type of universe where here are the objects we're going to play with and here are the allowable things. And perhaps that is what you're talking about when you say that there's a creative kind of playful detachment that isn't really logical. Rabbi Akiva, I- I'm attributing it to the right rabbi, Hava. Like, yeah, Rabbi Akiva was was notorious for sort of coming on the scene and saying, like, uh, inventing an, a new level of drosh for the rabbis to utilize. So what is Rabbi Akiva doing? You couldn't say that's like Gemara, you know, like logic. It's a new game that within that game, there is a certain type of logic that's being created that then you can run with. And some people are really good at running with logic once they're given it. But the actual creation of the set of logic is some other skill that is not measurable. It's even hard to quantify and like Akiva might have been able to create it. But some other, you know, kid out there can run with that. But maybe the kid wouldn't have been able to come up with the game in the first place. Is that kind of what you're thinking of? Like when you're thinking about math and the relationship between creativity and math and rule following in math, is that kind of where you're going with it? That's definitely part of it. I think that, you know, so there's this mathematician, Bill Thurston, who wrote an incredible essay called On Proof and Progress in Mathematics, um, which really formed a lot of my thinking on this to properly cite my sources. And so he writes and he takes issue with this idea of mathematics as like a, a definition theorem proof structure, where like you define a mathematical object, you state something that's true, and then you put a logical proof. And, you know, he's saying like, well, in fact, there's imagination and there's communication and there's all of these other things that are part of it. And that's definitely part of what I'm thinking of. Um, And I think that also gets to, you know, a little deeper, the question of, can you create new mathematics, right? Which I should say, like, lots of mathematicians disagree with everything that I'm going to say. I think that yes, you can, but this is something that, you know, people debate, which is, is there like mathematics that exists and we are discovering it Mm. or are we creating it? And like, you'll read lots of places where people will be like, math is the universal language. You know, everything else might be different, but if we met aliens from another galaxy, we would have the same math because it's this like pure logic thing. This is kind of a a reflection on the math side of, you know, maybe the debate among some of the early rabbis over like, is there any human contribution to, you know, Mm -hmm. the derivation of halacha? Or is all of this genuinely 100% from the mouth of God, no human aspect to it? And I really, really believe that mathematics is not something that we're discovering, something that like an alien would discover the same way, because we simply know different human cultures came up with different mathematics. The question you're sort of asking to summarize a little bit is one point of view would be like the Pythagorean theorem is engraved in the DNA of reality and we just detected it. And the halachic version of that would be like the kosherness of this chicken is similarly engraved in reality and we are merely detecting it in better and better ways. And the other side would be like the Pythagorean theorem could be true or false and we sort of came up with it as a tool and similarly with the kosherness of the chicken i wonder though about like other groups of people that create other uh, mathematics uh, aren't there analogous mathematics that like map perfectly onto those groups math from whatever standard math exists now 
Someone can invent the Pythagorean theorem and express it symbolically in a different way, but like there's an analogous Pythagorean theorem that exists in some other group of people that, that somehow maps back onto it. Are there examples where that isn't the case? So I think plane geometry is actually a good example of this. I'm not an expert in ethnomathematics, which because we call it ethnomathematics, it's the study of math not done by like Western people. Western people have no ethno. Um, I'm not an expert in ethnomathematics, but we are really heavily ingrained in the Greek perspective on how math should work. So like the Pythagorean theorem is called the Pythagorean theorem because Pythagoras proved it. People knew about it before in lots of different cultures. They had a very different perspective on mathematics. So the Babylonians knew about the Pythagorean theorem. The Egyptians knew about the Pythagorean theorem. They didn't know of it as a theorem about an abstract, like pure form of a mathematical object. They knew about it as an empirical science. They observed things in the world around them. They noticed that this was always the case. And they said, oh, great. This is always the case. And so you can say that the modern Western viewpoint of mathematics is somehow more general and encompasses all of these things. But I think that's kind of an overly simplistic viewpoint because the Western mathematical tradition is to study objects that simply don't exist, right? We study circles. Circles don't exist. Mm -hmm. There are no circles in the universe. The Babylonians and the Egyptians actually studied circular objects, um, so you're studying very different objects. And like we can go down the debate about like do platonic things exist somewhere or don't they? But I think what's more interesting <laughs> is to think about like what is the process where all these different people are studying in some sense the same object, but we can't define that object. Right. So similar to on the, the Sephara episode, right, you can learn, you know, your Gemara from one person. You can learn how circles work. It doesn't really matter mm -hmm. how you learn how circles work. You know, if you learn from a Greek person, you're going to learn a different strategy than if you learn from someone else. But like, it's all going to be eventually the same. But if you want to understand morally what a circle is, you've got to learn from all these different people because we can't point to one circle that is the proper understanding of a circle. Right, right. Okay, so I, it's incumbent upon me to interject here because this could just be an episode all about the philosophy of math, but it is the thing of our show is that we inject Talmud into conversations otherwise lacking Talmud, and you selected a little Sukya from Pirkei Avo Uri Reed, Rabbi Eliezer ben Chisma Omeo, Kinin Ufit Chenida, Hen Hen Gufe Halachot, Tkufot Ugamatriot, Paparot Lachochma. Do you have your own homebrewed translation of that, or do you want me to bring my translation? I have a homebrewed translation of the last four words. Great. Well, I will, I will bring some other words then. So, our dude, our boy, Rabbi Eliezer ben Chisma, said, the laws that have to do with mixed-up bird offerings and the keys to calculating what is going on with Nida days, with Jewish minstrel law and the math of that time, these are the body, a.k.a. the essence of halacha, and the calculation of the equinoxes and the 
gematria, which is the assigning of numerical value to Hebrew letters, and doing stuff with that value. These are the parperot lahochma, which is a phrase we'll have a lot to say about today, I'm sure. So take it yeah. away, Ada. So, yeah, so we've got, and I mostly in my own preparation of this text skipped over the mixed bird offerings and the nida because I was focused on the <laughs> mathematics. But in the last four words of this, how I would translate them in a very, very leading manner are geometry and arithmetic, right? Cycles and gematria are the parparaos of chokhmah. Chokhmah being wisdom, I'm sure we'll say more about that. So this word parparaos is a wild journey, <laughs> um, I will say. Let me start from the root of the jastro tree mm-hmm. um, at parar, which is to break. Uh, which becomes pirper, which means to crush or crumble or pulverize, which ends up finding its way to parperes, a minor dish, a salad, or a hash. So one of the reasons I picked this sugya is because I am deeply in love with breakfast food metaphors. And I am sure that's not what they mean by hash here. But, (laughs) you know, if I can bring some philosophy of mathematics and some like corned beef hash metaphors to the podcast. That's the dream. I loved Bartonura in his commentary on the Mishnah translated this word as condiments, which is, I think, a, a funny stretch, but I loved the phrase, these are the condiments to wisdom, which is almost a different connotation because you're describing from the root, literally like niblets. And condiments are, I think, of sauces. Although, I guess, some condiments are crumbles, like feta. So, much much to think about. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> the more times you say uh, okay, the more clear it becomes that this is not okay. <laughs> this is just not okay. This is not okay. I have some thoughts, if you'd like some thoughts. Please, or, like me, please, please continue to eliminate. Thoughts. So geometry and arithmetic, again, there's no justification really, I think, to me translating them that way, except that I want to. Mm -hmm. Um, But the, you know, the cycles of the equinox, the the numbers are these, these crushed up pulverized wisdom, which like when I first read it as a mathematician, I was like, what are you talking about? Um, (laughs) But then I started thinking more. I started thinking more about like what we were actually just talking about in the sense of the way that all mathematicians from all different cultures and all different sort of walks of life, one of the things that we do the most is we take something and we look at it in very different perspectives. Even if we're stuck within like the Western tradition of mathematics, um, like in that essay by Bill Thurston, I cited before, he gives like 11 different definitions of the derivative. And if you're, if you've been traumatized by calculus, don't worry, I'm not (laughs) going to talk about the derivative, but just he gives 11 different definitions that all look completely different. They're all sort of the same thing. Similarly, Chochmah, wisdom in like the wisdom literature in Proverbs and in the the mystical tradition in the Sefer Yetzirah is this single thing that is then sort of splintered into lots of pieces. The beginning of the Sefer Yetzirah is like wisdom's 32 marvelous paths, right? So wisdom is split into these 32 different paths out of which all of the rest of this stuff is sort of mystically... um, constructed Mm -hmm. um and so there's like the oneness and the splitting and then in principle the idea of now we're taking that splitting and we're trying to reach back towards that 
oneness, right? We're looking at these things from different perspectives or different cultures come up with different types of mathematics and there's something right behind all of that, mm-hmm. but we can't nail down what it is. Right. And so to me, that's part of, and I feel like there will be a dispute towards this. And I also dispute this a little, but that's part of the conversation between Gamara and Sfara of we're taking something and we're nailing down all of these separate cases, right? We're looking at all the different cases and we're breaking it all down logically into pieces but then at the end of the day, we have to sort of start working back towards like the fundamental, moral, imaginative, perhaps hopefully kind or like character-based intuition that led to all of these separate cases and decisions. Hmm. I see. So in this case, the metaphor about the about the the crumbles of wisdom is that the arithmetic and geometry are sort of facets of this primordial wisdom. And that's what Rabbi Eliezer ben Chizma is teaching us here, which is very, uh, you know, quite bold in a way because it's putting those very, I would almost say secular sciences in the, uh, in the same category as very clearly halachic disciplines. Well, I think there is a contrast between them though, right? It's the two halachic disciplines are the body of the Torah. Mm-hmm. And these two things are the hash of wisdom. Yeah. So I think true. it's not necessarily putting them on the same level, but they are, they're being like contrasted. Right. I guess I feel like even in that contrast, he say, I, to me, it feels like the implication is they are in some way connected to the same fundamental wisdom as like a baseline of the universe. The Hochma, which provides the animus for geometry is the same chokhmah that provides the animus for nida yeah bold listeners out of gestured <laughs> in case I, I you, I was in case you couldn't hear that gesture it was uh very eloquent. not a podcast professional yet <laughs> michael what are you thinking over there Oh, I'm just kind of still mulling over it all. Well, let me interrupt your thinking with some more commentary. I just want to bring to bring yes, in a, another perspective, because what we do on the show is bring in a million perspectives, and we don't resolve any of them, and then we end the episode. So according to the Ma'iri, who is a commentator, a Rishon, Rabbi Eliezer ben Chizma wants to guide a person in their course of study. So the first thing a person should learn is Torah. The two areas of Torah learning that he mentions are representatives of some of the most difficult subjects in the learning of Torah. So Kinim and Nida, which are the two categories, are traditionally considered to be incredibly difficult and complex areas of halacha. So a person should learn Torah so well that they're able to master even tractates Kinim and Nida afterwards when they have completely mastered even the most complex subjects then they should turn their attention to science and mathematics, here represented by astronomy and geometry. Oh. Yes, which is not, uh, when I found this commentary, it was certainly not not the way I initially read the sugya myself, but it was an interesting perspective to consider. Oh, like how did you read it before? I guess initially I read it as, my my most surface level read was Eliezer ben Chizma was telling us like, don't really worry about these other things. You know, like geometry and calculating the equinoxes are like not that important. So don't worry about them, which feels like yeah, a yeah, third yeah. perspective from still what we've heard, what we've talked about so far. 
Although I'm intrigued by the reading of Paprot as condiments because it makes me think that arithmetic and geometry are these things that like enhance the fundamental wisdom at the heart of all things, you know, that like they bring it out further. And for me, as someone who uh, a meal is not complete without a sauce, uh, would say that wisdom is not complete without its condiments. Does this mean that you're going to get really into math now, Hava? If I was going to get really into math, it would have happened by now. (laughs) That ship has sailed. I mean, I feel like in a truly fitting way for this episode, my getting into math has been me getting into Talmud, which is like me getting into, you know, the immortal science of the dialectic. And for me, that's as close as I'm going to get, not because I don't think math is wonderful, but because of math trauma. My father had a math degree and a lot of math opinions and a lot of math gender <laughs> a lot of math and gender going on in his head and that was all upon me so i feel like i rebelled against math and at this point i've accepted that as my path all right well you're doing great Ava. you're doing better than me my brain is just blown out of the water <laughs> uh can we do a quick recap summary of the main points like point number one <laughs> Point number two. Anna, do you have do you have points to recap or or new things to add? I can I can try to recap. Okay. I do just want to say, like, as a mathematician and as a math teacher, the the experience of math trauma is very valid and like very depressing. I taught many students um, who had had difficult experiences, and it's unfortunate. That said, I think you're getting the best experiences of math, probably from from studying Talmud. Mm-hmm. Like I said, to me, it's a very similar experience. Right. Like. In, in terms of actually doing it, um, where in math you'd have to go through like so many years mm-hmm. of, of nonsense to reach that. Do I, can I summarize in points? <laughs> well, let's see. We first talked about philosophy of math. Yes. Is math created or invented? I argue it's created. There is a human contribution to that. It's not all just lying out there waiting for us to discover it. And right. different cultures and different people come to different understandings of math then we can't we can't pinpoint like the one true math that like underlies them all Mm -hmm. and in the darkness binds them yes (laughs) you gotta learn math just like you gotta learn svara right from multiple teachers Mm -hmm. and then we took a look at eliezer's statement right in pirke avot math that cycles equinoxes numbers these are the parparabos of chokhmah which, like, I think that probably Eliezer meant your interpretation, or I forget who the who the other. Oh, the Meiri, the Meiri. Yeah, I think that's probably what he meant. Mm-hmm. I had my own interpretation um, about mathematics being sort of part of this splitting of wisdom into paths from the one to the many and the many to the one because i am a dirty mystic (laughs) Um, but but that is almost certainly i think not what he intended Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. wow what a journey i have to say at the end of it all i am with regards to whether math is fundamentally inherent in the universe or created by humans i'm definitely a low column a low column b Mostly because math in this case seems equivalent to what I would call God. <laughs> you know, it, uh, math in this framework is like, is there an inherent, objectively universal, true reality which we are detecting? And I think 
there is to some degree something that is that. And also, I don't think it's a scaling triangle. Well, yeah, I mean, the scaling triangle is just the language we're choosing to use to, to you know, you can't, there's, what's the name of God? You know? Right. The sexiest triangle. The sexiest triangle. It's a, it's the it's the word triangle in a way that I could never even say, you know, it's, it's that, that's what's going on. Right. But yeah, I mean, universal stuff, you know, if it's not there, then what, what's the point, you know? We're just going to go eat a bowl of popcorn and forget all this stuff if there's no <laughs> universal anything. There's definitely a point where you start asking, like, what is the number two? And I'm just like, I don't have time for this, which is why I'm glad that you brought up the Pythagorean theorem instead of two plus two, because I was really worried we were going to talk about two plus two. <laughs> right. Oh, right. No. Never. Uh, but yeah, I'm very logical in my, in my approach to mathematics. So I definitely vibe with your bit of column A, bit of column B, because it sounds like we're talking about God, because like, I think we are. Right. Right. And I'm into that. And that's part of what makes me sad about my math traumas. I feel like I'm missing out on a crumble of wisdom. You know, it's like a path that I may not have time to take in this life. I'm sure I could get into math, but we can't have all the lives we want. Yeah, it's true. Uh, I will leave you with a little tiny thing that I remember one time I was having a conversation with Sam. Be a shed. Friend of the pod. Friend of the Friend pod. Of sort of. General polymath of sorts we were just like getting into like what is an irrational number you could almost like feel why people freaked out when they discovered quote-unquote irrational numbers like what what why i might cut this out but this is <laughs> i just remember freaking out about irrational numbers one late night in in our shared apartment just to share with you because you might be interested and you can cut this if you want but like this is one of i think the strongest arguments that like Western mathematics is created and not discovered, which is like when we try to construct all of the numbers that we know about formally, like formally, logically from scratch, right? We make a couple assumptions and that gives us the natural numbers, your zeros, your one, two, yeah, threes. Yeah. And then we use those to construct the integers. We get our negatives and we use those to construct the rational numbers, right? We got our, you know, three quarters. But when you do this formally, Right, the integer three and three as a rational number are different objects. Because when you do it formally, three as a rational number is like all of the fractions that equate to three, right? It's, it's the set of three and nine thirds and 12 fourths and all of those things that evaluate to three. Whereas three yeah. as an integer is just three as a natural number is just like the number three that we get from like counting. And those are two different objects, but they are obviously the same object. <laughs> yeah, it's like somehow we can think of, oh, that person has three times more sheep as us, as like a rational. Or you can say, I have three sheep. We Somehow we see some equivalence between those situations and we call that equivalence three. And it's very, very strange. And I guess it is kind yeah. of invented. It's a weird language. But when you do it formally, they become different objects, yeah, um, which yeah, is yeah, very yeah. frustrating to me. And then even mathematicians, even formal, you know, math edu formally educated mathematicians are like, eh, they're the same. Right. I mean, it seems yeah, like it has wild. the same problem as all other linguistic enterprises, which is the challenge of connecting a symbol to a referent and like how out exactly. of control that quickly spins when you look at it too closely. Yeah. Fortunately, that never happens in the Talmud. Yeah, <laughs> yeah never, ever. <laughs>
Thank God for that. Great. Well, Baruch Hashem, I feel like we're at a natural moment of close to this beautiful mathematical bubble that we've been in. Anna, thank you so much for coming on the show. Is there anything you want to promo in this moment? Just math? (laughs) The concept of math. (laughs) Everyone think about math. If folks want to find me on the Twitter, I'm at QuasiB. I'm not really there much, but you can get a link to my Gumroad where you can read my commentary on the book of Genesis for what it's worth. Um, It's not all math. Mm -hmm. And sign up for my newsletter where I send occasional commentaries. Otherwise, yeah, just, you know, think of me the next (laughs) time you see a number. Ada's newsletter is great. You should definitely sign up for it. I receive it and I read it with joy. Wonderful. Well, dear listeners, as usual, we incite you to become a patron if you want to get twice as many episodes, whatever that means. Is incite the right word to you? I've used it and so shall it be written, so shall it be done. Okay, okay, okay. We exhort you to become patrons. <laughs> um, we oh. beg you on our knees no we love each and every one of you thank you so much for tolerating our nonsense and we will catch you in the next one Shavuot Tov Shavuot Tov Shavuot Tov